it's a great creative way for our children to memorize scripture and to learn scripture, and it's, we have so much fun. It's, it's fun having Monty there, too. And Good job, Monty. Thank you for sharing that. He was so wanted to share that because, you know, he wants to speak into the mic. So praise God. And uh, we don't discourage that. We, we praise God. And you never know what God's going to do through that boy. Amen? Amen? Praise God. He's got a great plan. This morning, our text is in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And the title of my sermon is Sola Gratia, and it means by grace alone. So in about 10 days, anybody know what date is on the calendar? Today's the 21st, so... It's Halloween. That really wasn't what I was looking for, but it is Halloween, right? Right? Um, it, it's actually, I, I mentioned it last year, and I, as I promised, it's a year later, just about. Um, but I do want to focus on some of those, those solos of the, the Reformation and how important they are in church history to understand where we are today and why those five, they're called solas, um, alone statements were made um, doctrinally, but also to guide us as a church and to keep us on track. Um, and they're a good, good, good measuring rod or stick for us to determine whether or not we're on track. And, and last year we talked about the scripture, sola scriptura, which is the scriptures alone are the authority that govern and guide us and tell us who to believe, what to believe, and how to live out our belief. And it's the word of God. And that was a really huge thing. And I'll mention that in just a second again. But, but since somebody mentioned Halloween, Nate, um, <laughs> I, I, I want to, I, I don't, I don't care anymore and, and I, I and I don't say that cheaply but I'm just going to make a challenge this morning um, just as one of your pastors but as a brother in Christ if you're a child of God and you're a Christian you're part of this community whether you're a member or you're a regular tender can I just make a challenge and I we're talking about Halloween on the 31st it's the first thing that came to all your, your, your minds and I, I understand in our culture can I challenge you, not because I'm a legalist, not because I'm looking down and judging you or whatever, but can I challenge you that if you're a Christian, can I just challenge you to do some research and understand why you celebrate Halloween in the first place and why you participate in that? Can I just ask you? I'm not, not going to tell you what to do. I am not doing that. You can run away with what I'm implying, but that's, I'm not even doing that. I'm just asking you, do you understand what you're doing and why you do it? It's fun. So What? Sin is fun. Right? So why? why what, what, what do you do it for? What, what, do you understand how we got here? That for, even for what it is, even if it's diluted and it's not all that, do you understand what you're participating in? I, I'm just challenging you to think about that and do some research on your own. And hopefully the Holy Spirit will help you determine to do the right thing. I, I'm here just, just throwing that out there. Think about what we just do things to do them. We have no understanding of the history, the roots, and what they imply, and what goes on in conjunction with that, that, what are, that, that event. And it, it's, uh, it's not all good, and maybe we don't all know it. So just, I encourage you to check it out. It's really important to know why we do things and what it, the meaning behind it is. It really, really is, okay? But the more important thing is that on October 31st, it's Reformation Day. And in the church. And in 1517, I mentioned last year, uh, Martin Luther, there were many others, not just him, um, in other parts of Europe, that they were, they were the catalyst. They, they started, and other, other people who are searching the scriptures started the Reformation. 
and where we have this splitter, we have the protesters, the Protestants from the Catholic Church and some of the teaching and what was going on because they finally looked into the Word of God themselves and they did it deeply as in a mirror and they realized that they were falling short and there were some erroneous views and understandings of who God is and what our relationship to Him looks like. And one of the first things that, that was pointed out glaringly uh, to Luther was the idea and the reformers was that the scripture is the, 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 the soul and the lone authority that governs our lives and our faith and practice. And, and the Roman Catholic Church had made it so that it was the church who was the authority and it was questioned by those who were searching scripture and the church was saying, we're the authority. We tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, what ritual to do, when to do it and how much it's going to cost you and so on and so forth. And all the while, the, the word of God was wide open there, or maybe it was on the side, and, and it wasn't searched as to what God was really looking for in that relationship with him so that the gospel was played out in a broken world. And so Martin Luther and the others, their eyes were open to the truth of sola scriptura, but the second one is sola gratia. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, we'll read that in a few moments, in a moment, is, is really the basis for this, this whole point or this whole uh, really crucial teaching and understanding and doctrine of salvation and of our relationship with God. And my thing is that if you, would have, if you would have gone, if you know the history, to Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, on October 30th, 1517, and, and it's the day before Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of that, that, that church, that, 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 um, the Castle Church. And, and if you would have walked in there the day before, and if you would have asked the Roman priest, the Roman Catholic Church, the priest there, if you would ask him that if the church taught salvation by works or by grace, what do you think the answer would have been? See, here's the truth. The church in Luther's day taught, and Catholicism continues to teach that it is impossible for sinful man to be saved apart from God's grace. Uh-oh, you answered the question wrong. A lot of you. They absolutely, the Catholic Church, our sister Maureen was here, and she attends, she, they teach that the, you need the grace of God for salvation. It's impossible to, 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 to attain or to gain or have salvation apart from God's grace. However, this is the distinction. Their teaching is that man has the ability and the obligation to cooperate with God in securing his own salvation. Now, let me just back up. Why is this so important? One key word at the beginning of the statement I just made. They teach that man has the ability. The ability to cooperate with God in securing his own salvation. That is not what the Bible teaches. We'll get to that in just a second. That is clearly not what the Bible teaches. Oh, they believe that you need God's grace to be saved. But they believe that you have the ability, that you can do other things to get there. And to even get more of God's grace, if you will, and build them up, I suppose. I don't know. You know, but since uh, we are spiritually weak and we're lazy, right, because of our sin, God must give us a boost of grace to enable us to do the work needed to become holy in this life and to be counted fit for heaven after death. You know what it's like? It's like saying that even though um, we're drinking coffee, we, we, we need to have a, at Dunkin' Donuts, a, what do they call them, those turbo shots? 
You need to have that. That's what, that's what grace is like. It's like a turbo shot to help you keep doing it. You've got it, you're going, you're moving along, but then you order an extra shot or you get an extra a, a triple of espresso, whatever it is, shot, and you just need that. That's God's grace and you're going to keep going. And, and You've been doing it, but you just need that to be infused. You know, you add and it, and it filters through you and you have, then you have energy to do it. That's really not what the Bible teaches The idea is that we are spiritually lethargic, right? But God gives us grace, and now we are ready and eager to do good works to secure our salvation. But here's the problem. If after you become holy, you commit a grievous sin, right? Which everybody and everyone, if anybody will, we're all going to do it, you're back to square one. You can only regain holiness with the help of more grace from God. By doing more things or by earning it through different ways or how the church tells you to do this or through the sacraments or whatever it might be. And you need to die in a state of grace to avoid damnation, although you can't know if you've done enough to merit heaven. That was the burden under which Martin Luther and countless other people lived in that time and is the reason that Martin Luther worked and he worried himself nearly to death when he was a monk. Listen to his own words. He says, For if I had gone on much longer, I would have martyred myself to death. What with the vigils, the prayers, the readings, and other works. And yet my conscience would not give me certainty. But I always doubted and I said, You didn't do that right. You weren't contrite enough. You weren't repentant enough. You left that out of your confession. And the more I tried to merely remedy the uncertain, weak, and troubled conscience with human traditions, the more daily I found it more uncertain, weaker, and more troubled. It's like spinning your wheels. That's all he was doing. And like many others, Luther was terrified of God's wrath. And, and to face his creator one day and to give an account for his life because he knew he was sinful. And he was racked with uncertainty about his inability or his ability to earn God's favor through his works. And the medieval understanding of that time of salvation by grace is heavily dependent on the works of the individual. And that was a problem for people like Luther and those who looked in the scripture and their eyes were opened and they realized that that was not the case. And the reformer saw that salvation is not by works enabled by God's grace, but by salvation, but that salvation is by grace alone. So look at you. It's not enabled by God's grace to do things, but it's salvation is by grace alone. It's not any ads, it's not an addendum to your life or an addition. It is God's grace, all of it, and all of that alone that saves you and keeps you and takes you home one day. You know, this uncertainty that Luther struggled with, I shared in the first service, two years ago, I had been visiting an individual um, who some of you know, I won't mention the name, um, but he passed away two years ago, and I would visit him, and he was getting weak, and he was dying. And I remember meeting with him just a couple days before he died, before I went to his funeral. And I had been talking to him all along. He's a professed Christian. He says he believes God. He can quote scripture and whatnot. And, I, and all he would say for the last three or four times I met with him, he's like, I'm so nervous about dying. And I'm just not sure if I'm going to heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm uncertain. I, I'm, not, I'm just, I'm confused. I don't know. And so I would read over and over to him. First John chapter 
2 and 3 and 4 and the gospel, the, the epistle of 1 John, where, where we read that over and over again and we see that we can know that we know that we have an assurance, we have certainty of our salvation in Christ because of his grace and his love for us. And I kept reading it over and over again and still he would still struggle with that. Now, I'm not making, I don't, I'm not drawing conclusions, but I went to that funeral kind of saddened. The funeral wasn't in our church, it was somewhere else. And there was no certainty. There was a struggle, and he wasn't sure if he did enough, or if he repented enough, or if he prayed enough. And it was a workspace thing, and he had, he had some orthodox roots, but he was definitely a part of Protestant church and evangelical churches, and he read the Bible, but he struggled, and he just wasn't sure, and he was nervous. But grace is unmerited favor from God, and you know, justice is getting what we deserve, right? That's justice, right? And mercy is not getting what we deserve, and oh, I love mercy, don't you? I love it. Right? So does Preston and Cohen. And grace, grace is getting what we do not deserve. And that's why I love my wife. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, if we can read that, provides an excellent overview of what it means to be saved by grace alone, nothing else. Grace alone. And in this, in this passage, we're going to see that everyone needs grace, that grace can't be earned, and finally we'll see the end result of grace. It moves along very smoothly. It's, it's three simple points. Chapter 2, verse 1 in Ephesians. Paul says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I, I want to pause because I, I saw it first service, but I forgot to mention it. That last song that we sang was a great song. I mean, the basis of the words in that song is all the lyrics are based off of them taken from Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2. It is an awesome, awesome song. If you sing, it's new. I know it's new to a lot of you, but if you check that out, you read those words and you take Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, you will find phrases from there right in here. It is awesome. It's a great story of our salvation and it's by grace alone. Amen? It's grace alone. But one of the lines in there says something that, that, that you awaken my sleeping or spirit. And you know what? That, that's a little bit inaccurate. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I, I understand the concept. We understand the truth. But it's a little inaccurate only because the Bible doesn't teach us that. So it makes it inaccurate, doesn't it? And let me, I'll show you right here, right in the scripture they're reading how it's inaccurate. It doesn't mean that you can't sing it, by the way. I'm not saying that. Because the, the concepts, even on the, in the King James Version in the Old English, the idea, and for the, the, the apostles, when they were asleep, they were what? They were death. Dead was associated with that, right? So there's, you can kind of play with that a little bit, and there's some truth if you understand it that way. But that are dead souls. Because Paul says here, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You weren't spiritually lethargic. You weren't weak. You weren't. In, you were. It's, it's okay to say it. I know it's not a, a popular word, but you were dead spiritually in your sins. Is it clear in the word? There are other scriptures too. Colossians, I'll reference some of those. You were dead in your sins and your trespasses. And he says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, which means they once were like that. So it's a very hopeful statement there. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. Really important statement. By nature, children of wrath. Even as the rest, the rest of the world, all the sons of disobedience. Verse 4, but God. Now, anytime you hear the word, those two, you see those two words in the Bible, but God, you should be like, all oh, right, what's God up to now, man? 
What it, but God, but God, but God. Now what, God? What's he going to do? What's he about to do? But God, listen to this, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. He made you alive. You were dead spiritually, not physically, but spiritually. You were dead to God and godliness and all things God. You couldn't respond to him. You were dead and God made you alive. In verse 7, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How rich his grace is. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And again, he says, by grace you have been saved with our faith, right? By faith he gives us. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. And verse 10, in your, in your bulletin, I think it says to verse 9, but verse 10 says, For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That we should walk in them. Now again, this passage provides for us, and it was a basis for a lot of the Reformers, and even for us when we think about our salvation experience and our understanding for many of us of how important and how vital grace is. In fact, it's everything. And to understand that first that everyone needs grace and that grace is for everyone and God wants everyone to have His grace and know His grace, we need to have an accurate picture of the condition of mankind. Is man spiritually lazy and in need of a helpful boost, a turbo shot? You know, kind of like uh, Corey, who's sitting over there, and, and it's, it's 10 o'clock, he doesn't want to get out of bed, and then Wes has to go in there and kick him out of bed. I mean, is that what we need spiritually? Is that kind of how it works in this whole spiritual thing? Is that, I mean, is that just how it is? We're, we're, we're alive, but we don't want to get out of bed. We need to get boosted and kicked and motivated, whether it's, if it's physically or any other way, right? Is that that, or, or is it a man who's sick in need of a medicine, well, the analogies work and to some degree, but they fall short of, of to the extent and to the depth of what grace is and our salvation is. They work and they point a picture and they show how much we need. Is, it, is, is, is man, is a person, someone who's drowning in the sea of life and they need a life preserver? Well, they actually need a rescuer, but sure. The analogy works to a certain point. It, do, it does. You can make some connections. But Ephesians 2.1 says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Not lazy, not weak, not sick, not dying. Not even mostly dead, yet slightly alive. You were dead. dead. Thanks, Nate. You were dead. The cause of death was this. Trespasses and sins. I don't really believe in sin and trespasses. I'm pretty good. Most people are good. Look at the world. This whole sin thing, I don't buy into that. And trespasses. What am I trespassing against? The Bible says that all have sinned and they've fallen short of the glory of God. And we have no excuse. We're all, we've all been there, right? And, and these words speak of missing the mark of falling short. And the result of sin in Romans chapter 6 is that there's, there's death. The wages of sin, what you earn for sin, what your payment is, is death. Spiritual death. Just as a physically dead person is incapable of responding to the world around them, the spiritually dead person is incapable of responding to spiritual things. Now, just to make a distinction. If you have never come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior... I'm just going to tell you what the Bible tells you. You're spiritually dead. You're spiritually dead. 
Now, if you are a believer and you've been made alive by Christ and you've been caught up in, and this happens in our life, we get caught up in sins or we get distracted, we're off track and whatever, and we kind of doze off or we kind of fall asleep or we go in a way where it weakens us and we're, we, we might be alive, but we, we need, there's a difference, we need to be revived, right? We need to be revived, not resurrected, we need to be revived. And, and there are times in history where God revives his people and there's revival that comes to church because the church slumbered and got so weak and tired. That's not dead. You're already alive, but, but you've been revived. You've been, re- you've been woken up, right? But this is talking about death. You are dead and you're made alive. Two totally different things. And the Bible says that people who are sinners and without Jesus, we are spiritually dead. And that doesn't mean that every person is as bad as they could be. I mean, think about the thought. Well, no, don't think. Well, think about the thoughts that sometimes you have of what you think you could do or that you might want to do to someone or something or in a certain situation or whatever. Think about that. It's pretty grotesque and it's pretty evil and it's pretty wicked. Even if it just comes in and it goes, but it's amazing, right? And it just points again to how we can't respond and there's nothing godly and righteous about us because these things come in our, our lives and they seep in so, so subtly. And it doesn't also mean that unbelievers can't live with what we would consider to be good lives. And we, we see that forms of goodness, if you will, and we can agree in this good things, right? But here's the truth. The Bible says that the best of humanity and the worst of humanity are alike. Without God, they're spiritually dead. They're spiritually dead. And you know what it means to be spiritually dead? First, it means that you're under condemnation. Genesis chapter 2 tells us that already. Adam and Eve had one simple command. They broke that. And the penalty for their sin, for their trespass, for their disobedience, was the payment was, was death. It was death. And from Adam and Eve on, it has become part of our nature to sin, and that we are sinners by nature. And Paul highlights that in our verse, at least on, at least on one occasion, if not twice, depending on your translation, that by nature we are sinners and we are dead and we, we're, we're off the path. We're, not, we, we're, we're in darkness. Everyone in this world either now is or once was spiritually dead. But being spiritually dead does not mean that we are inactive. This is just a little distinction here spiritually. As a physically dead person would be, rather, the spiritually dead are active in rebelling against God. That's their activity. Ephesians 2.2, because Paul even said that. He says, those who are dead in sin, that they follow after the course of this world. Which is to say they're influenced by the godlessness that surrounds them. And they are all too happy to embrace a culture that lives as though God does not exist. They're under condemnation. They're dead spiritually. Secondly, to be dead means that, that, the, that they are enslaved or yoked to three masters that we find in the Bible. It's to the desires of the flesh, it's to this world, and it's to the devil. And you can search Scripture through the epistles and you will find that if you are not alive spiritually, you are dead and you are enslaved and you are yoked to yourself, to the world, and the devil. That's the Bible. I'm not making this stuff you can look at. I can show you if you want to talk afterwards. That's who you're enslaved to. That's who you belong to. That's who you serve. Unconscious to the things of God, the spiritually dead, in verse 3 it says, they live in the passions of the flesh. They carry out the desires of the body and of the mind. And Romans 8 tells us that to set the mind on the flesh is death. 
Because the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. You are God's enemy. Thirdly, if you're dead spiritually, it means that that we are subject to God's holy displeasure. Another way to say it is that there's the wrath of God that comes. That we all face our Creator. We're going to have to answer. And for all that we've done, there's, there's going to be an accounting and there has to be a judgment and there will be a, the verdict will come in. And as a result of that hostility towards God, those who are dead are going to face His judgment. And Paul says that we were by nature children of wrath. And our very nature is sinful as a result of the fall. And so we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners by nature. Can I just say again, I'm not going to pick up my boys. Just look at your kids. And, and then look at yourself. We're sinners by nature. I mean, the defiance that comes from children to their parents and to commands that are given. They can't even understand all your words. They can't even speak to you, but they can absolutely say no when they want to defy your command or your authority. That's called the sin nature. And it's in every single person. And, and everyone needs grace because everyone has sinned. So everyone needs grace. That, that's, that's why it's so important to understand that it's by grace alone and the reformers saw this and highlighted this and they couldn't stand for what the church was, was teaching that you could add to or you could attain more grace or that you could do things differently on your own. It was all grace. But Paul said in our scripture that we once lived that way and he began by saying that we were dead. And so clearly there's a remedy for this situation that all people without God touching their lives and, and re- 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 resurrecting them and bringing them to life, that there's a re- remedy for this situation where there are all these, where humanity is spiritually dead. But if in our natural state we're spiritually dead, how can the solution possibly come from us? The reality is, it, it can't. You can't do anything for yourself. The dead don't need more education. The dead don't need more legislation, you know, laws to help them be better. The dead don't need more seminars and conferences to tell them how to be, how to live and how to be successful and how to overcome this and overcome that. They can be helpful. Don't misunderstand me. The dead don't even need resuscitation. As I mentioned earlier, they, the spiritually dead need to be resurrected. They need to come to Jesus, they need to be touched by the grace of God and brought to life spiritually. All those other things fall short without the grace of God, the awesome grace of God. How many of you like to um, receive grace? How many of you like to, uh, yeah, me too. How many of you uh, like it when you ask somebody to cut you some slack and they do? Yeah, I love it, right? I love it. And, but but we're, we don't like to give it to others. Anyway, but, but we love it, right? We struggle with that. Hello. Um, that's the same way it is with God. We, listen, we, we, we have to understand that that grace of God is so beautiful and, and He doesn't give us what we deserve and he, or he, doesn't, he treats us the way we, we don't deserve it. And He just chooses to do so. And we love when people do that. And, and then His mercy that comes in with that and compassion and love and, and His grace all married together. And it's this beautiful thing of God working it out for us and making us understand how much He loves us. Everyone needs grace. But secondly, the grace is unearned. It's a gift. We know this already. We, this rolls off our tongue 
My friends, brothers and sisters, all of us here, we can quote scripture. We can say it. Grace like rain falls on us. We sing all this stuff. We sing, we quote Ephesians 2, and all this, all these, these verses here in chapter 2, and other verses about the grace of God, and, and the, how Paul, God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, even after he was saved. His grace will carry him on and give him everything he needs to get through. And we can quote all these things. But then when the rubber hits the road, what are we doing? We're always fighting against the nature inside of us, and, and, and who's saying, go back to the old thing, and you got to try. You're not good enough. And the voices whisper like they did to Luther. And then we didn't pray enough. We didn't go to church enough. We didn't. You should do all those things, by the way. But that doesn't save you. That, that, that is not how you gain extra grace. Um, Paul says you were once dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, he sent his son. We know that Jesus died and he was buried. And he rose again. And the same God who raised Christ from the dead raises the sinner from death to life. Do you remember your own story, salvation story, your experience? You were dead. You could care less. You didn't think about it. It might have crossed your mind, but now you became alive and it was everything for you in the deepest part of your soul, in your heart, and it came out of your heart and your soul. And what was there just couldn't be contained because you were alive now and it just poured out of you. Ephesians 2, 4, Paul says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Everything Jesus has, we can have. By his grace. By his grace. Not by what you do. By his grace. Whereas we were once dead and subjects of God's wrath and his punishment and, and the consequence of payment for our sins, we were made alive and we experienced this immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. It never runs out. Colossians 2 verse 12 tells us how this is even possible. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. How did he do it? Having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, and then he set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. He forgave us because of his grace. Our debt of sin was transferred to Christ, who died so that we might live, and he bore the punishment for sin so that we who are children of wrath, we could become children of God now. Amen? What do we need to do to earn this? What do we need to do to earn this forgiveness, this grace of God and inherit eternal life? What do you need to do to earn it so that you can keep living in a way that glorifies God and you walk in His grace and you demonstrate His grace? What do you need to do? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and God gives you faith, by the way. He gives you faith, right, so you can believe. But nothing, there is nothing you can do to be saved on your own. I'm not yelling. I'm excited about that because, man, I'm, I screw up all the time and I, I, and I would never make it. We'd be like Luther, all frustrated with all the rules and regulations and never experiencing the fullness of God's grace so that we experience assurance and certainty. You can do nothing. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says that while we were still sinners, what did Jesus do? Christ died for us. I don't know. I'll just keep going off, but I, this is, that is that's, that's amazing and powerful, and I love that about God. That while I was a sinner, Christ already thought of me. He knew of me. He saw me. He understood that I needed his grace. There's no way that I could do it, and because of God's love, and he poured out his, his, his blood. He gave his life on the cross so that you could be with him forever, not because of 
anything that you did or could do. Now, it's hard for us to, 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 to embrace sometimes because everything inside of us wants to earn something or we want to make sure that we just payment for something or that we have to, it has to be merited on some reason because of our attitude or because of our relationships or because of our finances and paying our bills and earning things. We just struggle with that naturally by nature and we've got to fight against that. We've got to fight against that because it's by grace alone. And it's so different. We do not secure our salvation. We don't cooperate with God to secure it. He gives us faith so we can cooperate. And then we can. But he did that. He started the whole process. We were still dead when he saved us. And you know what? Dead people are notoriously uncooperative. (laughs) You can't do anything. It's all God. And we don't recognize it. And we get frustrated. And that's why sola gratia, or or salvation by grace alone, was so radically different from what was being taught by the church in Luther's day. And sadly, it's it's radically different from what Many Protestant churches even today are, 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 are hopping on and teaching and are abandoning or, or, or buying into whatever. And many people miss the truth that salvation is an unearned gift. Unearned gift is redundant. But look at what Paul says in verse 5. By grace you have been saved. And in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Look at me. Look what I did. I got to God. Look at me, look what I did. I'm so good. I'm great. And I'm, I am like the poster child of righteousness. <laughs> uh-uh. There's no room or no place for that because when we were spiritually dead, you can't do that. God does it all. Paul's saying that salvation is by grace, not by works. It's a gift. It's not something that's earned. And he gives it freely today. Freely today. If you're a Christian and you're a believer... If you're a recipient of God's saving grace, can I ask you a question as we kind of get close to the end here? Are you still amazed by grace? Do you think about His grace? And that because God is so other than you, and He allows you to know Him, and He saves you, and He assures you of an eternity with Him, and that every day you relish that, and you have a joy in that grace. It's so, and it's life-altering, but it's also a life-guiding thing. Amen. It's an amazing thing. We are saved by grace and grace alone, and if it's not alone, it's really not God's grace. It really isn't. It really isn't. You know, we get so comfortable, and we get so caught up with, with, with our life going well, especially around here. Abraham Lincoln said something like 170 years ago, 160 years ago, and he said, Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Because we forget His grace. His grace. Grace alone. We forget that. We go along and we think we can do it. We move and we're fine. We need God's grace. Everyone needs God's grace. And grace is not earned. So then what is the end result of grace? The last verse, verse 10, tells us what the result of this grace is. For we are as workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice how Paul speaks of walking twice in our passage. And if you have your Bibles, and for those of you who did, or, if, or your, your, your app, if you can see in, verse, first, in the first two verses, we see that we were dead in the trespasses and sin in which we once walked. Right? And now we see that as those who have been raised in Christ and saved by grace, we're created to walk in or to live a life characterized by doing good works. We walked according to all those sins, right? The transgression and sin. And now we walk in this grace. We walk for what? To do good works to the glory of God, right? That's what we do it for. We do not walk. I'm sorry. Good, good works are an inseparable condition of having new life in Christ. And so it seems that we have, there's, these two, there's, these, there's this tension that's here. First, works are not necessary and they cannot save you for salvation, right? They're not necessary, amen? Let me say it again. Works are not necessary for salvation. Amen. Works are not necessary for salvation. I'm waiting for everyone to say amen. Works are not necessary for salvation. Amen. Hallelujah, somebody heard me. All right. But here's the thing. The second thing is that works are necessarily a part of our salvation. All right. Works are necessarily a part of our salvation, even though they are not necessary for salvation. All right. Because now we walk in it. We live it, right? We do not walk in good works in order to obtain salvation. We walk in good works because we have been saved by the grace of God. To put it another way, good works are the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. Amen? We are able to do good works that are pleasing to God because we are a new creation, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.17, in Christ Jesus. We will want to do them. And out of joyful joyful thanksgiving to our Savior. Amen? And then our passage, we're actually warned up against legalism and lawlessness at the same time. Yes, you are saved by grace as a gift, completely apart from works, but you are not made alive in Christ so that you could walk in your old ways. That's not why you were made alive. We are now raised to life, not to live out a dead faith, because faith without works is what? It's dead. They go hand in hand. We're not saved because of our good works. But because we are saved, we do good works. We're no longer dead. We're not merely imp- improved versions of our old selves. And we're just these new creations. We're not improved versions of our old selves. Believe me, we don't want that. We are created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Are you walking in the good works that God has prepared for you? Are you doing what God has... Think about the depth of this verse. This is your homework. Think about it. If you're taking notes, think about it when you go home. Are you walking in the works that God has prepared beforehand? God knew it all. He knew what your path would be. And he wanted you to do good works. My question is... I mean, you can still choose, by the way. But are you doing that? And does it include a grace and a salvation by grace and grace alone? Everyone needs grace to gain eternal life. And this grace is unearned. And however, it's not cheap. Jesus died for your sins. It's not cheap grace. 
Have you received the gift of grace by simple faith, just believing? Have you received it? Have you opened that gift? Because you're feeling and you're realizing everything I've done falls short. God, do it. I need you. I recognize that. I can't do it. Thank you for your grace. Give me the faith. I receive you. And I want to live for you. And you know what? Think, you feel it. You know it. And you're experiencing it. And it's one of those things you can't put into words when the Holy Spirit works. But you, could, but you know when it's real and it's there because you have to experience it. You can't just try to talk about it and explain it away. You have to experience it. Living in that grace. Walking in that grace. And you have to experience being dead and then coming alive. Accept that gift of eternal salvation today. Maybe you're a child of God. And you have received and accepted that free gift. But you know what? You're like, you're reverting back to something from the past and you're trying to think that, you know, maybe I'm not doing this enough. Maybe I'm not doing that enough. Your focus is totally wrong, man. Your focus has to be on the grace of God and His love for you and His forgiveness for you, His acceptance of you. And then what He does is He says, listen, I'm going to come in, I'm going to fill you and then you're going to do things because you know my grace and you're experiencing my love and you're going to do it out of love. And you're going to serve me because you want to. And you're going to do it consistently. And you might have a hiccup here, but you're going to get right up and do it again because you love me. And you know my grace. And then it's by grace alone. There is no substitute. None. No. Zero substitutes in salvation from the grace of God. And there's no substitution for the grace of God in carrying you on. And we need that today. So this morning I want to pray. Do, we, do you have a song that you're going to play, Andrea, or no? Um, yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> All right, praise God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually, we're going to pray, and then we're going to listen to the song. If you want to just kind of come up and think about this grace and kind of relish in that a little bit and just get re-energized by acknowledging that, you know, you've got to put your efforts down and let God's grace just shower you. Then, um, then come up front. If you want to receive the gift of eternal salvation by God's grace and, and he's given you the faith to believe that and there's something prompting you, I want to talk to you too and pray with you. Receive that gift today. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this word. Lord, I pray that we would always remember, Lord, that it's not anything we can do, but it's all your work, God. And your grace is so powerful. Thank you that it's by grace alone we are saved. Lord, cause us, Lord, to to lean on you, rely on you, and to proclaim you and your grace. Not anything we do, not anything anyone else does. Not what someone teaches, although those are important. God, they are, and they help us, and they should point us back to the fact that it's by grace alone that we are saved. Lord, may sola gratia, Lord, stick in our hearts deep and in our minds. May we process, digest, and allow your spirit to produce and, and bring fruit in our lives as we submit to you and do what you ask us to. So, Lord, move in our hearts even now as we hear this song. And Lord, and for those who have to leave God when this, after the song is done, Lord, I pray that you bless them and bless all of us, God, as we go on our way. May we constantly lift up your love and your greatness, your goodness, your holiness, and always count on your grace to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.